At that time, the Roman Emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Uranus was governor of Syria. All returned to their ancestral town to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first son. She wrapped him in snuggle in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. So during this Advent of the moment and how we can find miracles in the moments because God's timing is perfect in all things, especially when we realize that God sent Jesus at the perfect time. We looked at the miracle in the message and how we need to look to Jesus as God's final revelation of himself to the world. We've looked at the miracle of the method We don't always see the whys of the events in our lives, but we know and we trust that God's methods are always right. Last week, we defined what a miracle is. A miracle is when the sacred meets the ordinary, and it makes an extraordinary difference in the world. Think about the miracles that led up to the birth of Jesus. The star leading Jesus, the magnificent display of angels in the sky over the fields where the shepherds were, the timing of Caesar's tax requiring Joseph and Mary to leave Nazareth to register in his hometown of David in Bethlehem, the virgin birth and God coming to earth as a man, the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was a miracle. He fulfilled one of the many prophecies about the birth of the Messiah. Each of these are all miracles in their own right. But together, as only God can divine, they create it and create for us the miracle of the birth of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But was Jesus' birth all that it should be with all the regalia, the fanfare, the honor he deserved? This week, we're going to discuss why and how the mundane birth of Jesus was exactly how it had to be. We just sang Away in the Manger. Now, I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say it. So if I start singing it, just ignore me. (laughs) Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay the little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. I have sung this song for probably close to 60 years. I've sung it hundreds and hundreds of times. 
But for the first time ever, God woke me up at 4 a.m. Thank you, Lord. 4 a.m. is not my time of day. But God makes it my time of day many times. But he woke me up at 4 a.m. with a revelation that just about blew me away. Away in a manger. Away in a manger. Jesus is a way in a manger. Boy, did that change the whole context of that song for me. It's not a way in a manger. It's a way in a manger. Still gives me goosebumps. Can't believe it took me 60 years to figure that out. (laughs) Some of you are much quicker than me. Obviously, I'm a little slow sometimes. But now if we look at verse 7 in Luke 2, 1 through 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in, him in the inn. Let's first look at what exactly is a manger. We have pictures of this cute little manger. That's not the cute little manger that we have pictures of. That's the cute little manger we have pictures of. This is what we picture in our house. Isn't that pretty? Look at that. So clean. Wonderful manger. Do you want to know what a manger really looks like? First of all, the word manger is a feeding trough for sheep. Pretty gross. Pretty disgusting. That's what it looks like. Not the most adorable little thing that we've pictured and that we post on our our walls and here's Jesus in a manger. We have such beautiful pictures of it, but the reality is it was pretty gross. It was dirty. It was filthy. Think about how it must have smelled. How it must have reeked with smelly old wet hay for feeding sheep and, of course, that gorgeous aroma of excrement that must have been wafting through the air. Have you ever driven by the trash heaps that we in Florida call hills? (laughs) When you're coming up to it, if you had your windows down, what do you do? You quickly roll up your windows to escape the smell because it lingers in your nostrils. You're just stuck with that stench. This is the reality of, of what Mary and Joseph were forced to endure. They didn't have this beautiful, pristine chapel to, to worship in. They didn't have the beautiful scents and aromas and, of this wonderful life that we live. No, they had stench and stink and, and ugh, nothing we wanted to be part of. So now that we have a really clear picture in our minds, let's discover together why Jesus had to come to Bethlehem, be born in a manger to save us all from an eternity in hell. After all, wasn't he the king of kings? He's the Lord of lords. Why was he not born in a manner reflecting his true glory? The manger reflected the absolute and total rejection that Jesus endured all through his life. He was rejected before he was even born. There was no room for him. The Roman census that was taking place, there were a large number of people traveling. So many scholars of Jesus 
at the time of Jesus' birth, there was no room in the inn because everybody had gathered for the census. No room for them. I'm having mic issues, sorry. Um, so a shepherd offered them the only place he had available, a stable where he fed and housed his animals. We've already decided that that's probably not the most pleasant place to have a baby. Jesus had been rejected many times in his lifetime. In Mark 6, 1 through 6, it states, A prophet without honor, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did the man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. In Isaiah 53.3, it says, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid their faces, he was despised. He was held in low, self- in low esteem. And the ultimate, the ultimate rejection was shared by John 1, 6 through 11. There was a man sent from God whose name is John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He only came as witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but they did not receive him. Rejection after rejection after rejection. Jesus endured rejection. He's the king of kings, and he's called a prophet, a carpenter, son of Mary and Joseph. He was given no respect in his own right. He was given no regal fanfare when he came to new places. Nobody rolled out the red carpet for him. He's most often despised and rejected. Beloved, I know at some point in your life you have felt rejected. Maybe by someone you trusted as a good, good friend, a really close friend. Maybe even by a family member. Maybe your boss. Or how about by your own church? place where you should feel safe. You should feel loved and appreciated and encouraged. We've all suffered rejection, but Jesus suffered the greatest rejection. Just as in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus was told of being rejected at Nazareth over a hundred times. Is that amazing? Over a hundred times Jesus was rejected. The Pharisees, the Jewish people, not even his own family, James and Jude. His brothers didn't even believe in him until his resurrection. And then James and Jude believed. That's sad. And we feel sad when we're rejected. Can you imagine how Jesus must have felt? Jewish people refused to acknowledge Jesus as the one true king of kings. They saw him as a really good guy. He's a good prophet. 
sent by God. Jesus faced rejection all his earthly life. And sadly, much of today, this world still rejects him. It's got to break his heart. Not that he was rejected on earth, but that as much as he has laid out his life for us, they still reject him. The manger also depicts depicts Jesus' way to save the world from our sinful ways. Luke 2.12 says, This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, swaddling cloth, doesn't that sound beautiful? It's not. The definition of swaddling cloth is narrow strips of cloth wrapped around an infant to restrict movement, kind of like how we picture mummies. These are not glorious dressings befitting a king. These are strips of cloth, kind of like potato sack cloth. Babies born to royalty or wealth were usually wrapped in fine silk linens, But if you were born to a common person, you were wrapped in whatever there was, usually sackcloth, usually nothing fancy, probably a little dirty, a little holy, a little, again, stinky, not so regal. Here we have the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, wrapped in potato sackcloth, used garment. In the Old Testament, a pure, innocent, spotless lamb. Oop, I forgot to close that part out. Sorry about that. Most of the cloth was used, pre-used. It was carried grains, carried feed, carried hay. Again, as I said, rough, not, not soft, not comforting, not like we wrap our babies now in these nice little warm baby blankets and comfort and keep them nice and tucked in. All you could see in swaddling cloth were these tiny little faces. Today, that's still how a lot of people wrap their babies. It's a comfort to them. That's not comfortable when I was silent, was it? Kind of makes you think, what's a comfort? For babies, it's being held and hugged and snuggled and swaddled. Jesus was swaddled, but not in something comfortable and pretty and, and a nice, pretty aroma. Jesus was our Savior, and here he is being treated like a common ordinary that didn't matter. In the Old Testament, a pure, innocent, spotless lamb was used as a symbol to sacrifice and atone for the sins of the people. It didn't really do that, but it was a symbol of of atoning for our sins. In the New Testament, we've been given a true sacrifice for our sins, the one true lamb of God, Jesus Christ. In John 1.29 says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. How fitting is it that Jesus was born in a sheep's feeding trough? 
Here's Jesus, no room for him in the inn, swaddled in lowly cloth, rags, laid in a sheep trough, and found first by the very people who tend and care for the sheep. As we've learned in the past, most sheep herders are pretty humble. They're considered low people. They're not high up in the order of things. Kind of like how we look at our street people, our drunks, our drug addicts, our prostitutes. They're low men on the totem pole in our world, in our culture. They don't have much value. Sheep herders didn't have much value. So why did Jesus have to come as a lowly baby in a lowly manger, placed in the lowest of low feeding trough, swaddled in dirty, stanky, rough rags? Let me tell you, if Jesus had come as royalty, befitting the king of kings, if he had come with all the fanfare and the regalia and the the honor and rolled out the red carpet for him, what was that telling the world? It's telling the world that he only came for the elite, for the rich, for those that had, not those that didn't. He had to come as ordinary, as common, so that we could relate to him. He had to be one of us. He had to be exactly who he is, Jesus, Savior of the world. Not Savior of the wealthy, not Savior of the elite, but Savior for everybody. We had to know that we know that Jesus came for people like us. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I want to repeat that. For God so loved the world. It doesn't say God so loved you and you, and you, but he didn't love anybody else. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, people, we are the whosoevers. The people out in the streets are the whosoevers. The people in the offices are the whosoevers. They encompass everybody from the person out on the street to the person up in the White House. We are all whosoevers. There is none better than the other. Jesus didn't come to separate and segregate us. Jesus came to make us his family. Beloved, make no mistake, Jesus was born to die. His death is and should always be connected to his birth. See, there would have been no need for Jesus had God not needed to make a way for us, a way to save us from our sinful path, path, a way for us to find salvation. 
Jesus could have just been the next baby born. But Jesus had to come as Jesus, as the Son of God, as the spotless lamb to save us from our sin. And it doesn't matter how big the sin is or how small the sin is. We are all sinners. God knew in advance that we are a sinful people and that we would have to have a way to access him. God had to open a path for each of us to be redeemed. It is only through the rejection and full access to Jesus that we can know that we are sons and daughters of the Most High King. We are sons and daughters of the Lord of Lords. If that doesn't get you on fire, if that doesn't give you goosebumps, but none of that could have happened had he not been born in a manger. Jesus came to die so that we could live. When we talk about Christmas, what do we talk about? We talk about the birth of Jesus. But do we talk about the fact that he came to die? The birth and the death are connected. Beloved, don't lose sight of that. Jesus did not just come on this earth to walk around and then leave and say, oh, here's your access. Jesus came to earth. He was born so that he could die, so that we have life eternal. That overwhelms me. just overwhelms me. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, but when the set time had fully come, God has sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. None of that could have happened if Jesus hadn't been born for us if Jesus hadn't been born to die so that we could have eternal life, that none of this would have happened. Everything about the first Christmas night reminds us it was a night of miracles. Christ was born to die. He was born to be our way in a manger. He is a way in a manger for us all. Don't lose sight of that. So the next time you hear that song or you sing that song, let it hit you that Jesus is a way in a manger. We're going to have communion this morning. As you prepare yourselves for communion, Take a moment to reflect on the birth and death of Jesus, but most especially his love for the entire world. Jesus didn't come just to save a few. He came to save us all. Without him being born in a manger, wouldn't have happened. He endured rejection, He endured so much 
But his love for us was so much greater than what he endured. Jesus is our constant reminder on how to love in ways that matter because he loved us in ways that matter. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for coming just as you did so that we could be part of your family. As we take time this morning to have our communion, we ask that you just humble us and remind us why you're here. So 1 Corinthians says, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given them thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.